Hello again, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us. Please get out your Bible and study along with us as we learn about being disciples of Christ and exactly what discipleship costs. I want to know something that I just absolutely can't stand. I cannot stand watching television and seeing some commercial come on and they're flashing all the products on the screen and they're telling us that they've got it on sale and it's the lowest prices in town and they show something that I really, really want but they never tell me how much it costs. Or when I'm driving down the road and there's a car that I really like and it's got in big bold letters for sale and their phone number but it doesn't have the asking price. Or just the other day as we were driving through our neighborhood we saw this oversized go-kart out in front of one of our neighbor's houses, and it said for sale on it. And I thought, hey, I'd like to get a go-kart. I mean, how much can a go-kart cost? A couple hundred bucks, right? And, but they didn't have the price on it. And so, of course, I called them, and I said, I saw you had the go-kart for sale out in front of your house, and they said, that's a dune buggy. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was a go-kart. So it looked like, isn't that what it looked like to you, Marina? Just a big go-kart. But because it was a dune buggy, it wasn't a couple hundred dollars, it was a couple thousand dollars. I, I realize that that's a little sales ploy, a marketing gimmick, that they have much more, a much greater chance if they get me to come by their store or to give them a call to buy whatever it is. But frankly, I want to know the cost. I want to know that right up front before making any calls, before going by any stores. I want to know how much is this going to cost me if I try to buy this thing? When it comes to becoming a child of God, it's also important for us to learn the cost. In fact, that's what Jesus demonstrates. If you look in Luke chapter 14 and verse 28, in Luke chapter 14 and verse 28, Jesus, as He's preaching, tells the folks in Luke 14 and verse 28, for which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. When it comes to builders, when it comes to kings, it's good to count the cost. And the point of Jesus here is that when it comes to considering being a disciple, it is good to count the cost. And so I'd like for us to consider tonight the costs of discipleship. What will it cost us to be Jesus' disciples? And as we continue, to, as we look at that and as we consider our own discipleship and whether or not we're going to grow as a disciple... We need to ask ourselves, is it really worth it to us? Do we really want to pay these prices and lose these things that it costs us to be a disciple? Before we get into that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Glorious God in heaven, we praise Your name and we're thankful for Your Son who paid the price for our sins. We're thankful that You counted the dreadful cost of saving man and that to You it was worth it, that You saw us despite our sin as valuable to You and You sent Your Son to die for us so that our sins could be cleansed and that we could 
glorify and honor You and be a part of Your work. We pray that You would be with us tonight, that our eyes would be open to what You require of us, to what the costs of discipleship are, and that we will be willing to pay that price just as You were willing to pay the price for us. And we thank You, Father for this opportunity to study Your Word, for this opportunity to be with other Christians. And we pray that You would be with each one of us. I have no idea what everyone is facing in their lives tonight. I, and I, I'm not sure if this lesson will, how many people will help, but we pray that, God, You will be with each person and their specific needs, that You will help them overcome the temptations that Satan is hurling at them individually, that You will help each of us to find friends among our brethren who will strengthen us and help us Help us to study and learn Your Word so that we can grow and be Your disciples and bear fruit that glorifies and honors You. Father, be with us tonight and help us to glorify You through this worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to know as we, as we get started, the costs of discipleship are pretty heavy. I've got several things that I'm going to be listing up here for you, and I just want you to, to be fully aware of that as we get started. The very first thing that discipleship costs us is it costs us our sin and our guilt. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, Ananias told Paul exactly what discipleship would cost him. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16 it says, Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. What he pointed out to Paul is, Paul, as soon as you become a disciple, all those sins of yours are taken away from you. They're lost. You don't have them anymore. That's what discipleship costs us, our sins. It goes back to what Peter said in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. You remember there on the very first day of, of, of the church being established, on the day of Pentecost, as Peter preached, he said in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. When you become a disciple, those sins, your sins, the ones you worked so hard to commit, are taken away, gone from you forever. Discipleship costs that. You lose it from then on out. In addition to that, when that sin is taken away, the guilt that you carry around with you that burdens you is also taken away. You remember in Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 23, Paul said in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Justified is a legal term which means pronounced not guilty. Even though every single one of us has sinned, when we become a disciple, God takes away that sin and He takes away that guilt and He justifies us and declares us not guilty. And so before you become a disciple, you have to ask yourself, do I really, really want to lose all my sins and all my guilt? Because that's what it's going to cost. Secondly, as you continue to grow in your discipleship, as you become more and more like Christ, it's going to take away all of your stress and anxiety. It's going to cost you that. Now, that, that's not the immediate thing. That, that cost is not exacted from you as soon as you come up out of the watery grave of baptism. But as you grow closer to Christ, as you become more like Him, as you learn to control your mind and your actions, as you learn to think about the good things and the positive things, what the Scripture points out to us is all that stress and all that anxiety that we spend all our time worrying about, God takes that stuff away from us. We lose it. We no longer have it. Philippians. Chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4, Paul said this 
In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things." The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. When we become disciples of Christ and we begin to live our lives as Jesus would have us live them, learning how to pray, learning how to think like Jesus, learning how to act like Jesus, it says that the God of peace will guard our hearts and our minds. And I believe that. Becoming a disciple and growing in discipleship costs us our stress and anxiety. Peter pointed out in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 that we can cast all our anxiety on God because He cares for us. He doesn't want us dealing with that stress. He doesn't want us dealing with that anxiety. He wants to take care of that for us. And when we become His disciples, growing in His will, that's exactly what He does. And He takes that stress and that anxiety away from us. I just want you to think uh, just momentarily about the ancillary costs that would also be exacted from us like that. All those precious sleepless nights, gone. Stress-induced ulcers, taken away. You know all those fights that you have with your spouse because you're stressed out and at your wit's end? All those arguments you look forward to at the end of the day? No more. Because that's the cost of discipleship. When we become a disciple and do things God's way, He takes that away from us. We don't have that anymore. The third cost is insecurity about the future. You know, when you're in the world, before you become a disciple, you take a look at your future and you realize that by your wit and your will and your ability to work, you are going to make a way for yourself in this world. You're going to get up in the morning and you're going to go to work and you're going to get the job done and you're going to lay by for your retirement and everything is going to be great. But then you begin to think, well, but what if I lose my job? What if I get laid off? What if I get in a car wreck and I'm I'm paralyzed and I'm not able to to make money anymore? What if somebody steals my identity and wipes out my savings? What if the stock market crashes and my retirement vanishes? What if the government no longer lives by its promises regarding Social Security? You begin to think, what am I going to do? How am I going to live? What am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? How am I going to take care of my family? we begin to realize that when we're just focused on ourselves, our future is pretty insecure. If everything works just right, it'll be okay. But we've all already lived in this world long enough to know that nothing ever works just right. And so we have all these insecurities. But as we grow as a disciple as we learn to think more like Christ, as we learn to act more like Christ, as we learn to seek God's will above everything else God promises, I'll take care of you. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Jesus said, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
The sleepless nights you spend worrying about what you're going to eat next week, next year, next decade will be taken away, removed. They'll vanish. All that time you spend worrying about the future and those insecurities, God will patch that up and remove it as you become a stronger disciple. It's a different way of life. I understand. We've got to give up so much when we become a disciple. But this is the cost of discipleship. Those insecurities about our future will be gone. And so, before you become a disciple, you have to ask yourself, do I really, really want to get rid of that insecurity about my future? Fourth, our misery. You know, all that time that we spend in our own minds thinking, you know, it's just not fair. They get that kind of house. They get that kind of car. And I don't. All that time that we spend in our mind thinking that God just hasn't blessed us as much as we, we think we want to be blessed. And so we're just miserable. We're unhappy. We're dissatisfied. All of that gets taken away. You lose that. As we grow and as disciples, look at Philippians chapter 4 again. In Philippians chapter 4, here's what Paul said about his life as a disciple. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul said, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. He says, I've learned that. I, I've content. This is not resignation. This is not, well, I guess I just have to put up with this today. This is contentment. This is blessed happiness. Paul says, I've learned how to be content. But I want you to notice that he learned how to be content. Again, these costs of discipleship, they don't all just happen right as you come up out of the watery grave of baptism. God continues to take these things away from you as you grow in your discipleship. And one of them is all this misery that we have because we just, we just life is just not fair and we haven't received all those things that we wanted to receive. As we grow in Christ, become more like Him and think like Him, God starts to take that misery and that unhappiness away because we learn, as Paul did, the secret of being content in whatever situation we're in. Whether we're talking about a job situation or a marriage situation, a family situation, a school situation, a work, whatever, we learn that secret of how to be content, happy, not resigned, happy and content in whatever circumstance. And God removes all that misery as we continue to grow in our discipleship in Christ. And so we have to ask ourselves, before we become disciples, we have to ask, do I really really want to lose all of that misery. Because becoming a disciple will take all that away from you in time. The next one, all our weaknesses. Stay there in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. What did Paul say? I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. While we're in the world, we're weak and insignificant. We can't do anything of eternal importance or significance. And a lot of times we hide behind that because we, we hide behind that and refuse accountability and responsibility, declaring inability. But when we become a disciple of Christ and we start leaning on God and we start focusing on Him and looking at His Word and doing things His way, we begin to learn that, hey, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And those weaknesses start being taken away. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. 
In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul said, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. He says God can do far more than we can think, than we can ask, and He can do it by the power working in us. All those weaknesses that we've hid behind, He said He'll take those away, and we can do amazing things through Christ who strengthens us because God is working. We're not leaning on ourselves. And all those weaknesses that we hid behind, God's going to take all of those away as we grow in Christ, as we continue in our discipleship, as we become a stronger and stronger disciple. And so before we become a disciple, we've got to ask ourselves, do I really want to get rid of all my weaknesses? Because that's what it costs. Fears. As we grow in Christ, as we get rid of our sin and our guilt and the stress and anxiety and insecurity about the future and misery and weakness, suddenly the fears start disappearing. All those fears that we have. Look in Luke chapter 12. Jesus talked about those fears in Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 4. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 and verse 4, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Jesus points out that as we grow in Christ, He says, look, you're valuable to God. God's going to take care of you. You don't have to fear. As we become a stronger disciple, what Jesus points out is even that fear we have that somebody's going to kill us, He says, I don't have to fear that. These fears become useless and meaningless and we lose them. They're taken away from us because we have confidence in God. Regarding those folks that can kill us, He says, look, you're more valuable to God than the sparrows. He's going to take care of you. But even for those ones that God may allow to be killed, what's the big deal? That's your one-way ticket into His presence in the paradise of God. Nothing to be afraid of there. You don't need those fears and they'll be taken away. Now I recognize from this passage that what it points out is that there is a sense in which the fear of God will always be maintained. That fear that, that causes us to maintain our discipleship and to continue to grow in Christ lest we be punished. Yet, I also know that the Bible points out that as we grow in our discipleship, the fear of punishment even subsides because we realize we're serving God. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18, John said, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. As we grow in Christ will recognize that I don't have to fear punishment because I'm serving God and He's promised not to punish me. And so, we have to ask ourselves before we become a disciple, do I really, really want to get rid of all my fears? Because that's what it costs to be a disciple. God takes that away. You don't get that anymore. You know, before people become a disciple... They have earned death. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. We all worked hard to earn that. 
And when we earned that, we were walking on what Matthew calls, or what Jesus calls in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, we're walking on the wide, broad way. Matthew 7, verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at verse 4, Therefore we ourselves, this is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 4, We ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it's only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. When we sin, we earn that death and we earn that retribution of eternal destruction. When Jesus comes with His angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution, eternal destruction away from the presence of God. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28 a parallel passage to one we read just moments ago as it talked about fearing God. Don't fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We've earned that. We've worked hard to receive it. But when we become disciples, God removes that. That hard-earned fate that we were pursuing in the world is taken away. And in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 4, we learn that it's replaced with an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And so, before we become a disciple, we need to ask ourselves, do I really, really want to lose my eternity in hell? Because that's going to be taken away. It's going to cost us that when we become disciples. Now, usually up to this point, when the person has called and asked how much this is going to cost because they saw my for sale sign, got the customer eating out of my hand. But this next one is usually the deal breaker. Because I'll tell you what else it's going to cost. It's going to cost personal control of your life. When you become a disciple, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Verse 19 and 20, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. The Bible says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have from God and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God. When we become a disciple... We have been bought with a price. The price, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, is the precious blood of Jesus Christ as a spotless lamb, the Son of God who died for us. His blood, that's how much it cost to make us disciples. And that price was paid, and when we become a disciple, we are no longer our own. We don't get to make our own decisions. 
We don't get to pursue our pleasures. We don't get to demand our rights. When we become Christ's disciples, we become God's bondservants. As you take a look at the New Testament writers, how many of them began? Paul in Romans 1 and verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. James in James chapter 1 and verse 1. James, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Peter in 2 Peter 1 and verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Jude, in Jude 1 and verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Just like them, when we become a disciple of Christ, we become a bondservant of God. We are His slave. And we've got to do things His way. When we become a disciple, according to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we are to become a living sacrifice. Paul said in Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We crawl up on that altar and we die to ourselves and live to God and sacrifice ourselves, sacrificing our wills. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 describes it this way. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself up for me. He says, it's not me living here anymore. I'm not making the decisions. I'm not ruling this tabernacle, Paul says. Jesus is. I am living by faith in Him, doing things His way. And when we become a disciple, we're agreeing to turn control of our lives over to God. We're agreeing that we're no longer going to do what we want. We're going to do what God wants. We're no longer going to pursue our goals. We're going to pursue God's goals. We're no longer going to go our direction. We're going to go God's direction. We're agreeing to allow His Word. What did Paul say? I live by faith. Remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. When we become a disciple, we're agreeing to allow God's Word to govern our lives. And we're agreeing, as James says in James chapter 1 and verse 19, that we will be quick to hear God's Word. We will be slow to speak against God's Word and slow to anger with God because we realize that anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We often use those passages to talk about our relationship with one another in communication. And and there's a good application there. But in context, it's actually talking about our relationship with God. And we're agreeing that we're, we're going to be quick to hear God, slow to speak against Him, slow to anger with Him, so that we can have His righteousness. We are agreeing to put away everything that God's Word says we must put away. We're agreeing to pursue everything that God's Word says we must pursue, we're recognizing that from now on out, somebody else gets to tell us how to walk, how to talk, how to dress, what kind of movies we can go see, what kind of songs we can listen to, how we are supposed to treat our wife and how we're supposed to treat our husband, how we're going to treat our children. 
Somebody else is going to tell us what our goals in life are. Somebody else is going to tell us what our standards are. And we don't get to make those choices anymore. Those are God's choices. He's made them and He's declared them for us right here. And when we become a disciple, we're saying, God, I'm going to do things your way. Because each of us has a different background and different things that we struggle with, I can't say all the things that that's going to equal for you. For some people, when they become a disciple, that means they're going to have to give up some of their friends. For some, it means giving up an unlawful spouse. For some, it's going to mean giving up alcohol. For others, the covetousness of gambling. For some, it's going to be the kinds of movies that they've been watching or the songs they listen to or the books and magazines that entertain them. For some, it's going to be some of the places they frequent for entertainment. For some, it's going to be outbursts of anger and vile language and lust. Who knows what it could be for you, but all I know is that God says from now on, once you're my disciple, I own you. And you do things His way. That's what it costs. And if we take a look at that passage we started off with in Luke chapter 14, and we look at the greater context, we see the kind of costs that He was talking about there. In Luke chapter 14, beginning this time in verse 26, Jesus said in Luke 14 and verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else... While the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Therefore, salt is good, but if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He said, that's what it's going to cost. Everything. But here's what makes it a little bit difficult for us. Is that God doesn't come in when we're baptized and wipe away our free will. He doesn't come in and take over and force us to do things His way. That's why in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, he says, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence, knowledge, in your knowledge, self-control, in your self-control, perseverance, in your perseverance, godliness, in your godliness, brotherly kindness, in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the midst of that list, we've got to be growing in self-control. Because God will not come in and take over. I know it's popular in our religious world today, this idea that once you become a Christian, God just comes over and takes over and He takes away all this stuff and you don't have those temptations anymore. It doesn't work that way. We've got to grow in our self-control, controlling ourselves the way God has said. And we don't get a choice in that matter. We don't get any options. We have to do it His way. 
because He owns us. He bought us with the price of His Son's blood. And I realize that that's just very open-ended. I don't know what all this cost is going to mean for you individually. But I know this. What it means is that you're saying that whatever God asks, I am going to do that. And here's the great thing. All you've got to do is get into this. And you learn that and find out what God asks of you. And I want you to understand that this cost is the key to all those others. If you want all these other costs exacted from your life, you've got to pay this one. And brethren, frankly, that is why so many disciples lead lives that are still filled with stress and anxiety and fear and misery because they haven't handed control of their lives over to God completely. There's still parts of their lives that they're hanging on to. If you want God to exact the cost of your sin and guilt, your stress and anxiety, your insecurities, your misery, your weaknesses, your fears, and your eternity in hell, then you've got to pay this cost and hand the personal control of your life over to Him. No matter what it means. No matter what He asks. He paid for you. He bought you. You belong to Him now. And so, before you become a disciple, you have to ask, do I really, really want to give up control of my life to someone else to do things His way, no matter how I want to do them? But I hope you realize as you consider all these costs that it really is worth it. You remember the parable of the treasure in the field? The man who found the treasure hidden in the field. And because it was so valuable, he sold everything he had to go buy it. And I imagine that folks thought he was crazy. Why on earth are you selling everything you have to just buy some plot of land? He did it because he knew there was something valuable there, a treasure that was worth far more than everything he had. And I'll tell you what, the treasure of having our sin and guilt taken away, of having our stresses and anxieties alleviated, of having our insecurities and our fears and our weaknesses and our misery gone from our lives and the eternity in hell eradicated, that treasure is worth every ounce of control we might have in our own lives. It really is. And I hope you see it as that valuable. This is the cost of discipleship. I hope our lesson today was beneficial to you as you learned about the cost of discipleship and all the things that are going to be taken away from you as you grow in your discipleship. Let's remember what we learned today. Our discipleship will cost us our sins and our guilt, our stress and our anxiety, our insecurities about the future, our misery, our weaknesses, our fears, our eternity in hell, and it will cost us the personal control of our lives. But it is worth the cost. The treasure hidden in the field of God's kingdom is worth everything else. 
let's pay that cost because Jesus paid the cost for our sins. If you have any questions about the cost of discipleship, about the price that Jesus paid so you could be a disciple, or about the Franklin Church of Christ, please call us at 615-794-2359. Or you may reach us through our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. If somebody gave you this lesson, let me invite you to come to our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com. You're allowed to download any number of the lessons that we have there, both in audio and outline format. Listen to them repeatedly. Share them with others. Whatever you believe will glorify God and help people be drawn closer to Him. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.